facing the enemy of death with hope, peace, and confidence in Christ. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor is going to talk about what the Bible has to say about death and how it's an enemy. But through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, He has overcome sin and death in our lives. With that in mind, we can be confident that our last breath on earth will instantly be in the presence of God if we're a believer in Christ. Pastor Ed likens it to a nap as we join him now in 2 Kings chapter 20. A Christian doesn't have to fear death any more than fearing taking a nap because you will wake up. Isn't it amazing? Kids hate naps. I'm sure when you were a kid, you didn't like taking naps all that much. They just want to get the most out of life that they possibly can. They don't like them. They're not interested in stopping, in resting, and they're especially not interested in the middle of the day of eating a snack and taking a nap. They see it as the worst of the worst thing to happen in the middle of the day. But as we get older, naps are starting to look pretty good. <laughs> I mean, we'll try, to catch, we'll try to catch as much as we can. You know, there's not, there have been times when I've been so tired, I'd sneak out in, in the sanctuary while nobody's here. I uh, can't do that so much anymore because, I mean, we, since the school started, you never know when the kids are coming in and when they're going to use it. But I would find a place in here just for 15, 20 minutes and just get a quick nap and get right back in. That would be my, I didn't want to eat. I would even forego food on my lunch break to take a nap. And we were recalling today. Uh, back when, you know, talking about in our staff meeting today how ministry can make you tired sometimes and you get tired. But, but it's not just ministry you get tired. Everybody gets tired. doesn't matter what your job is. Now you're yawning at me, so you're tired of me teaching. It's all right. And so you, I remember back when I was working, uh, we, we, um, we worked, my office was right next to a Barnes & Noble. Now, if you guys are far familiar with Barnes & Noble, not only do they have a great selection of books, but if you walk through... They've got some amazingly soft chairs. And so what I would do when I was working on my lunch break, I would drive down to Barnes & Noble, I would find a corner chair somewhere, take a book off the shelf, open it, lay it on top of myself, and I would snuggle up in that chair and take a nap. I mean, naps are like, amen, give me more. You know, I don't want a 15-minute nap. If I can get that, I want a half hour. Yeah, give me a half hour, give me four or five minutes. You know, I'll, I'll buy one on an auction if I need to. <laughs> Naps are good. And the thing about grabbing a few uh, Zs on a nap or, you know, taking a quick uh, sleeping on a plane perhaps is that you're going to wake up. And so the phrase of sleep to refer to someone that has died or passed away is a reminder if they're a believer they're going to wake up. They're already awake in the presence of the Lord. That's just their body. That's just their body. A Christian doesn't have to fear death any more than fearing of taking a nap. You will wake up. 
And this reference is a reference not to the soul of a person, but to their body. Paul makes it clear that when a believer dies, his soul goes to be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have that confidence. Jesus told the thief on the cross that was next to him in some of the final breaths that our Savior ever took, some of the final words that ever came to God in human flesh were these. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There is no such thing as soul sleep. None whatsoever. There was a pastor that I read about who knew that his friend had lost his wife. And so he went over to the house to encourage and comfort him. And he told his friend, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your wife. But his friend quickly answered, you can't lose someone when you know where she is. And you haven't lost any loved one in Christ. You know where they are. The body remains on this earth, returns to dust, but the real person is with the Lord. You are not your body. Your body is an instrument by which you animate yourself and which is used by the, glory, by the power and the presence of God to communicate his love and mercy into other people's lives. It's good to know that we will not have this body forever. Did you know that? <laughs> we will not have, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I, I'm not going to have this body forever. It's, I mean, for goodness sake, we just went go-karting, and I tweaked my back go-karting. There's a word for that. Old. I mean, seriously, what was I doing that was going to bring pain to me? I mean, I was racing to win. I guess that's probably part of it. I didn't show up to lose, I could tell you that. But did I win? No. Just makes me more hungry next time. But as, I, as the time moves forward and I'm now closer to seeing Jesus face to face than I ever have been before, the Bible promises me a new body, one that will be appropriate to live for all of eternity in the presence of God. And you will have a different body. Though we look at a person and say that he or she has died, we may visit the graveside of a loved one. We're confident that they're not there, that it's just bringing back memories and an opportunity to express sorrow and grief. Paul says, don't sorrow as those who have no hope because there is a group of people on the earth today that die without hope. But in Christ, there's hope, wonderful hope. You know, in the first century, the pagan world had a very dim view of death. They, they looked at death and stood there in despair. Death came to them with no hope, with no hope of the future. Listen to some of the writers and philosophers of the day. As they come with death, they would meet it with resignation and bleak hopelessness. Aeschylus once wrote, and I quote, once a man dies, there's no resurrection. Theocritus wrote, and I quote, there is hope for those who are alive, but for those who have died, are without hope. Catalyst wrote, and I quote, when once our brief light sets, there is one perpetual night through which we all must sleep. And on their tombstones, they would write grim epithets were carved. Here's one. It was, it, it was on their tombstone. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Hopelessness. 
But Paul says, be careful of sorrow. It can undermine your faith. He's not saying that death will not bring sorrow. Neither is he saying to put up a strong constitution and not let anyone know that you're hurting. He's not saying that when he speaks of sorrow. He's saying that for the believer that has faith in Jesus Christ, the sorrow is different. Sorrow nonetheless. But it's different because the rough edges of sorrow are softened a bit by the hope of Jesus Christ. And they strengthen a person to take the next step, as Elizabeth Elliot would teach us, to do the next thing. Sorrow happens at the loss of a loved one, whether it's expressed or not. Many times it is expressed, but it's a different kind of sorrow. Another opportunity that I have here as a pastor is to officiate, at least I have in previous years officiated memorial services, and there is a profound difference in officiating a memorial service for a believer and an unbeliever. It's palpable. It is noticeable. As is the faces of people, when you survey the room in a memorial service, you can quickly tell, not for everyone, but for many, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not. Whether they're in this room with hope or they're in this room because they have to be. And you have to understand in our ministry here, when we officiate funeral services here and we have the privilege of being invited into a family's life and the pastors involved here, it is one of the most opportune times to preach the gospel. We have an audience that is captive and unlike many times, most of their life, the subject of life and death is on their mind in a very real profound way. And in that time, as you see with Jesus, he would use the opportunities in people's lives to insert his love and his hope. And so anytime you hear about a memorial service here or you see one as you're driving by, pray for the people that are in this room. There's this amazing openness. Not for everyone, but even with the hardest of hearts, the gospel starts to chip away. And at every memorial service in our church, in our, in our fellowship family, the gospel is preached. You can be sure of that. And it's preached with authority, and it's preached with confidence, and it's preached with hope, and it's preached in such a way that reflects a compassion to those that are hurting in the room. So it's not that you won't sorrow, as he says that. Don't sorrow like others who have no hope. It's not like the Bible isn't saying, keep a stiff upper lip and, and don't sorrow at all. No, no, he just says it's different. Even Jesus expressed emotion when at the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible declares that Jesus wept. And the idea behind this Greek word is not, you know, a tear was streaming down his, his cheek. And you could see that emo this is a convulsive expression of exasperation and sorrow. And he put to rest that this whole teaching that men don't cry or grown men don't cry. It's simply untrue. The greatest man to ever walk the face of the planet cried at the devastating loss of his friend whether he was crying over Lazarus or he was crying over the pain that sin brought to the people there or the mourning or all of it together. Jesus expressed emotion. And you know, experts tell us, and you may be familiar with this, but for the sake of those that aren't, the experts that tell us that there are several stages in the cycle of grief, in the response to losing a loved one. 
Because when you lose a loved one, there is this feeling of ripping and tearing away. That it's not just, it's not just something you can push down and ignore. If it's not expressed and processed, it will eat you up alive and destroy you from the inside. And it's, if, if there was ever a time in your life when you have to express and live out not to fear man or to fear what people think about you or to worry about people judging you, it's at the time of deep loss. Because the more you push it down, it's going to come out eventually. And unfortunately, pushing it down just makes things harder and more difficult. Well, stage number one in grief is known as denial. And it's an amazing thing that God does in our, our bodies because you have an immediate sense of shock so that you don't experience the full weight of the loss. And part of the shock, part of the shock in how your body just kind of shuts down different mechanisms and it just zeroes in and kind of becomes laser focused is because then you start to process and just like in that shock, you're like, this isn't happening. This, this isn't happening. This, this didn't happen. I, it must have been a dream, or in more cases, you'd say this is a nightmare. And after the shock settles in, and there's a few days or maybe even weeks, the denial turns into guilt. And you begin to feel guilty. If I only would have been there, if I only would have done something, if I only could have done this, and you begin to process all the what-ifs and what could have beens. And then once you process the guilt, next, the next stage they refer to is, is the anger or the blaming time where you're very angry that this happened. Why didn't the doctors do this? And what about this diagnosis? And what about, and you begin to see uh, and think that if things would have, could have gone differently, things would have been, if, if situations would have been handled differently, maybe things would be different. It makes you really angry and difficult. And then after that, there comes a time of great discouragement or even depression as your feelings are starting to come to the surface and sorrow grips your heart. And then over time, we don't know exactly how long there is. Um, there's no predictable uh, time frame. You can't just like in the first 30 days, and it's nothing like that at all because those of you that have been through our grief share training, you know that everybody grieves differently. And that we all share, those of us that have grieved, we all share some commonality, but there's also a lot of uniqueness because everybody grieves differently because everybody's different. And there comes this time where, you know, denial doesn't even happen in stage, it doesn't even necessarily happen, have to happen in stages either, where stage one, then you go, this all can happen at the same time. That's what makes it so muddy and so difficult to get your equilibrium. Uh, but over time, God in his gracious love for us, through the work of the Holy Spirit, not just our human body, but the work of the Holy Spirit, there is the stage of acceptance and hope and continuing on with life. It's predictable and it's normal, it's just hard, and extremely hard. And the thing is, is that it was, you know, you, you think you're over a stage, and then you, you, you're in a mode, and then like, like a wave, man, it all comes back, and it ha feels like it happened yesterday. That too is normal. But what, is, but what does Paul remind us of? We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Hope, like love, is the lubricant in very difficult situations. You know, when the Hebrews buried their dead, they mourned for a month. The Egyptians, they set aside 70 days for mourning. Jacob, at the thought of losing Joseph, the Bible says in Genesis 37, 34, then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. 
David, at the loss of his son Absalom, says in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33, then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O Absalom, my son, my son. Martin Luther, one of the key reformers, was a good father. His sturdy spirit, which could face an emperor in war, was almost broken by the death of his precious daughter, Magdalena, at the age of 14. God, he said, has given no bishop so great a gift in a thousand years than he has given me in her. He prayed night and day for her recovery. I love her very much, but dear God, if it is thy holy will to take her, I would gladly leave her with thee, he said. And he would come to her and say, Lena, dear, my little daughter, thou wouldest love to remain here with thy father. Art thou willing to go to that other father? Yes, dear father, Lena answered, just as God wills. And when she died, he wept long and bitterly. And she was laid in the earth. He spoke to her as to a living soul. In German, he said, you will rise and shine like the stars in the sun. How strange it is to know that she is at peace and all is well and yet to be so sorrowful. That's what Paul's saying here. We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Instead, we have confidence. It says in verse 14, we believe, we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is the hinge and the hope of the resurrection in our lives. Although death is inevitable, the resurrection comes to everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, this is a glorious passage of the rapture of the church. We believe the pre-tribulational rapture that God would come before the millennial, before the tribulation, and receive us to himself. But sometimes the weight of scriptures get lost in some of these debatable types of doctrines. Because before he ever speaks to the glorious hope of being forever with Jesus Christ in the rapture. No matter where you believe, it fits on the calendar, on the biblical calendar. He speaks to the broken heart and to the confused. He speaks to the one that has experienced great loss and great depth, and he just says this, look, I know it's confusing, and I know it's hard, and I know you're deeply sorrowful, but sorrow is different for the Christian because of hope. And we have hope in Jesus Christ that he will return for us. And there's great comfort and sustaining joy that not only will he return for us, but for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we'll be reunited with our loved ones that have gone before us. What kind of, reuni what kind of reunion that's gonna be? I don't know. I know there's a part of me that, that desperately wants to see my loved ones, my mom, my dad, my son. But how will that be in the presence of Jesus Christ? <laughs> how will that be when I meet my Savior face to face? How fast will be the wiping away of every tear? How fast will be the encouragement of knowing that I made it to heaven? How fast will it be that in the instant of what we kind of experience through time right now, that in the millisecond instant, whatever that is, to be in the presence of the Lord, 
Everything is solved. It's all taken care of. Every question is answered. Every wrong is made right. Every lapse, every difficult, every deficit, every ache, every pain, every worry, every care, every concern, every loss is met with, yes, the reunion with loved ones, but even more so, what will worship be like in the presence of our Lord and Savior? What we hope for will be reality. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been learning how to face the enemy of death. It's part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 2 Kings. Maybe the timing of all this couldn't be better as you've been grieving over the loss of a loved one. You can hear the complete study online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also want to pray for you, too, so please send in your prayer requests there at the website under Contact Us. Again, AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed is with me now, and Ed, as you were talking about death as a believer in Christ and grieving but not without hope, I know this is something your family is all too familiar with. Your son, Eddie, is with the Lord now. I was wondering if you'd take a couple of minutes to share how the Lord helped you and your family during that very difficult time. Well, Larry, I appreciate you uh, asking this question and asking about my son, Eddie. Um, We miss him terribly. Um, a significantly traumatic event in our lives. And and I have to say, the Lord has been faithful. And in our grieving and in our mourning, it is with hope. Um, it is with hope that we'll be reunited with Him. It's with hope that God keeps His Word. It's with hope that, my, that our Son is in the presence of the Lord, enjoying all that He anticipated, all that we anticipated. And how the Lord helped me was, uh, I mean, it's... Too much for a, a quick answer, I think, but some of the highlights is, is he was faithful to keep his word. He never left me or forsook me. He revealed himself as he is, the God of all comfort, who comforts me in all my tribulation. And when I wrestled with questions and I argued with him, he didn't discard me. He gave me solid answers and comfort and encouragement. On days that I was mad, uh, God met me. On days that I was sad, God met me. On days when I felt like things were unfair, um, how we've been treated is unfair, uh, the whole situation surrounding his death, you know, on those days, oh, man, the Lord was saying, Ed, I want you to remember unfair. And I want you to remember the cross because the cross gives us the right perspective. And Jesus Christ took upon himself all of our sins and forgave us. And it wasn't fair. He was sacrificed unfairly unjustly in the hands of humans. And so we have to remember that even in the loss of loved ones and any drama that might surround the loss of loved ones is is even in the unfairness, God is faithful and he will be proven to be true. And now here we are almost six years later and we are stronger. Um, We are not only are we comforted, but we have been also been able to comfort others in a whole new channel of life and ministry and a place for the Holy Spirit to even have more of me, my wife, Marie, and our kids. It's amazing. And if anything that he's done uh, through this time is he's increased my love for him. I love God more today than I ever have before. And I'm looking forward to being reunited with my son, Eddie. I miss him so much. Such a special man. And I know that if he was here today, things would not be the way they are. But he's not. And I embrace, I'm not there yet, but remember what Paul said, 
He says, I'd rather glory in my tribulations. I'm not there yet. I can't say that like Paul did, but I can say this. I've embraced uh, this new season of my life, this new ingredient to my life, and I want to use it not only for the glory of God, but in the memory of my son to be even deeper committed to the work that he's called me to do. So thanks for asking, Larry. And thank you for sharing that, Pastor Ed. And I also want to mention Pastor Ed has a blog where he writes on the subject of grief. You can check that out at edtaylor.org. Our pick of the month is an excellent little devotional by E.M. Bounds on the power of prayer. Start your day reading these one-minute devotions, or it could make great lunchtime reading in your office break room. Give your prayer life a needed boost as you read the power of prayer. One-minute devotions. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And here at Abounding Grace, we look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in this ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in 2 Kings here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.